0: you're listening to a recording of a live radio show on npr news if you want to listen to us in real time you can stream our show live weekdays at 9 a.m central thanks for listening and enjoy the show
1: Good morning. I'm Carrie Miller. This is NPR News. This hour, why being a nun reveals only a small part of a spiritual story. This is the newest conversation in our Women of Faith series. When you check out the podcast collection, you can discover where evangelical Christianity intersects with climate activism. Because the words climate change have become so politicized, Mm. uh, you know, they've become like, toxic in certain communities. And that's unfortunate. The climate has to do with all of us. Sometimes you have to talk about it in different ways that people can understand. You can also hear why Suhag Shukla believes Hindus must reclaim the sacred in yoga and meditation. And so if there's a way to connect the two, to say, hey, listen, this is yoga. You go every week to your gym. But did you know there's more behind it? And Mm -hmm. guess what? These other folks that you're, you know, maybe see as other are very much a part of that story. Today, why spiritual seeking gets a bad rap. When Pew Research asked Americans about their religious affiliation, they chose what I think is an unfortunate designation for people who are unaffiliated with a particular faith. They call them nuns. But as our guest Anjali Kumar knows, that's a flat, one-dimensional description for a life of spiritual seeking. And she is a true seeker. As she joins us, I think we'd both like to hear your perspective on this. If you identify as spiritual, but you aren't connected to a particular faith, where has that led you? What does it mean for your sacred beliefs? What does it mean when you talk about your ideals and your ideas about faith? I want to hear from all the spiritual seekers in the audience this morning and where that's led you and what kind of self-reflection that's inspired in you. Talk to me about it. Six five one two two seven six thousand eight hundred two four two twenty eight twenty eight, and on Twitter at Carrie NPR. Anjali Kumar is a lawyer, entrepreneur, and the author of "Stalking God: My Unorthodox Search for Something to Believe In," and she joins us today from New York City. Anjali, welcome! So good to have you on the show. This is really a pleasure. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for having me. I have to say that that none appears to never have and never will <laughs> des- describe you. And and I wonder if you agree with me that it it's so one dimensional for a life that inspires curiosity. I wish Pew had found some other way to describe it. What do you think?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's a great point. So for your listeners to make clear it's not none and un. Right. <laughs> it's N- right. none. N-O-N-E. Um, and it is a strange word choice because it's it's sort of dismissive of, I think, a broad category of people within that that might be actually um, believing in something bigger than themselves. We're just not totally sure who or what it is.
1: I mean, if, if Pew were to ask you on a survey where you align, how would you describe yourself, whether you're faith-affiliated or not, you'd come up as a N-O-N-E, wouldn't you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I definitely would. I think otherwise. After having written the book and done all the exploration, at this point, if forced to choose, I'd probably revert back to my my faith that I was born into, which would be Janism. But I would probably call myself Jan-ish, like people are Jewish. You know, I'm Jan-ish. <laughs> um, and and for me, I think part of the reason I can go back to that is because one of the core principles of the faith I was raised in is something called non-absolutism, which basically means that no one can have ownership of truth, even when it comes to religious beliefs. And I think that's, you know, that winds up with my thinking. And also because to me, um, Asian religions, Eastern religions, to me are really intertwined with culture. And so, you know, saying I'm not Jan or culturally Hindu, like doesn't really line up either because I'm Indian, um I'm Indian American, but I'm Indian and so it's so interwoven into how I was raised culturally that it'd be strange to completely reject
1: it. But but it sounds like you put the ISH on the end of Johnish. Yeah. And why? Is that because you are not all in on all of the tenets of of Johnism or why this just gives you a little bit of an escape hatch or I think it probably gives me an escape hatch yeah
2: just because just in case one of these other things is right I'm like well hey I didn't fully commit to this one. (laughs) I I have a plan b Um, but I you know it's just it's really just because it's hard for me to reconcile the idea that there's only one way to um, to find something bigger than yourself, I, I think of it as so cultural. Like I said, you know, and and I think of religion as as very cultural. I'm sure there's many many people who would strongly disagree with my perspective on that, but that's my personal perspective. Um, I, in my view, I just can't imagine that if there is a god, um, he or she or it or whatever it is. I just would be. It's hard for me to think of them as being so insecure that they need like big houses built in their name. You know, it's like if I was God, I feel like I'd be pretty confident and the fact that I created this universe. And I'd be like, you know, you all don't have to believe in me, because I know what I can do. Like, I made all this, I can take it all away. Like, I wouldn't feel the need for people to tell me how wonderful I am all the time, if I was able to do all that. So I just, I feel like there's something that doesn't quite line up for me. But um, the idea that there must be something bigger than this still gnaws at me. And so I I feel like there's something, I just don't know what it is.
1: You know, you're really speaking to, though, the the investment in the hierarchy, and for many, face the patriarchy, and how power resides in building the big cathedrals and in having a very strict uh, power structure in faiths. Yeah, I mean, isn't yeah, that what sure. it's all about?
2: I think it is. I mean, you know, look, I'm, I'm certainly not a theologian, so I don't want to speak out of term out of turn on that. But a, from what I know, it does feel that way, and I. It's hard to, again, reconcile the idea that there are gatekeepers to this knowledge or truth. I think there are translators, and I think that's what religion is, or people who really are um, seeking in a deep way or come back with these sort of like, oh, I have a message from, let's say, God or the universe or whatever. But I think they're translators. I don't think they're gatekeepers. And they're trying to translate into a cultural context um, things that are really hard to translate. And so that— sort of manifests itself in religion.
1: You know, that's, um, that's a really interesting idea to pursue, I think. But it also, as I, as I think we're suggesting, undermines the authority. It, I mean, in gatekeeping lies a lot of power and authority to say, I am the way into this exclusive group. As large as it may be, we know the truth. And I'm the one who opens the door for that. Translators, that's a whole different thing.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. And so I, I, you know, I think part of my resistance to it is maybe a rejection of authority. And so being like I, it just doesn't quite line up. And I think you're seeing that on a global scale around a lot of issues, right? Like we're pushing back against our politicians. We're pushing yeah. back against so many different things. And so it makes sense to me that that would also... Be in a religious or spiritual context.
1: Let me grab a call here from Jim in Stillwater. Jim, you, you would uh, identify as a seeker?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for taking the call. Um, you know, I've, I've lived around the world in different places, the Middle East specifically, and have a lot of Islamic friends and have spent many, many hours debating the topics that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I'm just trying to he gleaned some information here from the call, always searching, you know, I've, I've read, you know, the, about the Byzantine Empire and the, you know, the, the fracturing of Christianity into so many sects here in the United States, Never mind, you know, Buddhism and Taoism and all the various things that exist around the world. And the second that someone starts to tell me that they have the answer for the, the path to the, you know, to the whatever, to the almighty, to the, the higher order, I, I, I'm immediately turned off and suspect because they're human beings. They can't possibly know. Observations, insights, anything into that.
1: What, what do you think, Anjali? I mean look I I agree with
2: you on many levels like I am very suspicious of that as well although that said part of me kind of envies those people like if they really you know people who have a really strong tradition of faith um it's like if they really believe that like what an amazing guidepost for them and I kind of am jealous of that but I personally just haven't found it and you know after the journey that I wrote about in the book I'm very much at peace with that. And I'm okay with the idea of never knowing and that it's sort of a lifelong search. And I'll never know the answer for myself, much less for my daughter, which was sort of the impetus for the search. But uh, yeah, I mean, I find myself a little bit suspicious of people who are are really uh, dogmatic about their faith, but uh, but secretly jealous. You know, (laughs) I'm like, wow, only had,
1: yeah. I mean, because I mean, what you're talking about is the difference between certainty and healthy doubt. And I'd say doubt is ever so much more curiosity-driven and interesting than certainty is. Well, I
2: agree with you. And I think I've made a career of that both professionally and personally. You know, that's definitely been Mm -hmm. um, the the sort of professional curious person has sort of become my calling card at this point. Uh, But I, I think the... The idea of certainty there's moments where you're like, "Oh, that'd be nice. you know like <laughs> wouldn't that be easier in a way, but for me personally i've I've accepted a while ago that that's not my lot in life, and I'm okay with that <laughs> that i won't I won't find that answer.
1: Anjali Kumar is with us. If you've just gotten in on the show, it's a continuation, a new conversation I should say, in our women of faith series. Uh, you just heard her say that she is a professionally curious person. She's had a lot of different positions. She's an entrepreneur and a lawyer and a writer, but she also embarked on this this spiritual seeking some time ago, and that led her into so many different experiences around the world as she kind of sought the ideas that that um, propel different religions and you know, put herself out to say, is this something that really speaks to who I am and something that I could belong to? And as we have this conversation, it's a larger discussion about the idea of spiritual seeking. So if you identify as spiritual, but you aren't connected to a particular faith, uh, many of you in the surveys come up as N-O-N-E, none. But as as Anjali and I started out talking, that's a really one-dimensional kind of view of so many Americans and so many people around the world who are out there seeking an alignment with spirituality, but don't necessarily call themselves a uh, a member of a particular faith. If you identify as that, as that describes you, I'd really like to know where that's led you and the kind of thinking that you do about that. What does it mean about your sacred beliefs? 651 227 242 On Twitter, at Carrie NPR, to Kiva in Stillwater. Hi, Kiva. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, what's, uh, what does this mean in your life? Well, I was raised by
0: agnostic Jews. So while I was really deeply embedded in the you know, cultural aspect, I was raised um, by people that really chose um, not to have any religious practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, I asked my father if he believed in God, and he always said that he kind of believed that there is a, something greater than us, but that the way he practices religion is to be kind Mm. Um, to treat people as he would want to be treated. But um, I always saw religion really as an outsider. I never felt included. I didn't really understand when I would go to church with friends. Um, I didn't connect with the Bible. And as I've grown up and become a parent, I've tried to add more ritual into our lives, but I kind of hitting a wall of feeling that there's so much hypocrisy um, and so it always kind of comes back to a spiritual practice that I do on my own um, going into the forest or meditation but uh, I do feel like we all do search for ritual um, but every time I've tried to go to church, it, I just felt like it really had, I haven't connected with it. I haven't connected with the words of the Bible. Um, and it just feels like I always felt kind of like an alien from another planet observing, and it just never made sense.
1: Kiva, I am me. so glad you heard this show because I think you <laughs> and Anjali have have a lot in common, including, Anjali, if I might, the birth of a child and how that sends you into the kind of seeking mode that Kiva is describing
2: absolutely, and I think um, Kiva. For what it's worth, there are a lot of us. You know, so there's, don't feel alone. Um, they may not all be in Stillwater, but it seems like there's at least two of you in Stillwater. Um, who knew? But uh, there's there's so many of us that I think feel the same. That you're kind of like there might be something out there. I'm just not sure what it is, and you know, just in case I'm gonna hedge my bets like a little bit. So the but yeah, the birth of my child, Zia, who's now nine, is really what spearheaded this whole thing. And it was really a conversation with my dad. So I was really into the cultural traditions of it. Like I said, you know, I'm sort of Jan-ish, culturally Hindu, like I and my husband's Hindu or again, raised in the Hindu faith. Um and so I was really into all of the things that you were supposed to do on the birth of a child, all the traditions. I really loved all that stuff, all the cultural stuff. And at one point early in her life, my, my dad uh, said to me, he was like, oh, have you taken her to the temple? And I was like, oh, no, what did I forget to do? Like, did I forget one of the, the traditions? <laughs> and he was like, no, just, you know, you should show her what we believe. And that's really what sparked it. I was like, oh, whoa. I don't know what I believe. Like, what does that even mean? Because Uh it was just always around me, but I never really paused to question what it meant, even though... I was raised with it. It was all around me. We had a, a big Indian community. I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. Um, and I went to Catholic school. You know, I, I had no shortage of religion around me. And I just never really paused to really unpack what I thought about it. And so that's what started it. And I think that's true for a lot of people. It's like sort of the big markers in life are when people start to question. If they haven't questioned to date, it's like birth, death, weddings. It's like sort of the times that um, people need ceremony around something is when I think a a lot of people, um, at least in my research, if you can call it research, uh, sort of come to these big questions.
1: No, that, that's a really great point. I think that's what Kiva was speaking to with ritual. There mm-hmm. is, I think, as humans, we uh, we are invested in the need, right, for ritual. But I, more and more of us say, but I don't need all the other trappings that seem to go along with that ritual. I'm not sure whether churches... Synagogues, mosques are understanding that as well as they could be. You know the rules, yeah. right? That come along with the rituals.
2: Totally, and I think what we want is community. What we seek is community, especially that's in these right. times, right? I think that's so much of what it is. I think that's why things like full cycle exist. I don't know if that's a big Midwestern thing, but it's huge in New York, and it's a spinning class. It's literally a spinning class, but it's sort of integrates these yoga type missives and like sort of spiritual language within a spinning class. Hmm. I, I, It's not for me personally. I did it and there's a whole chapter in the book, one of my, I thought it was a pretty funny chapter, but I'm sure like didn't think it was so funny. But it was, you know, but to me, what I saw there was people looking for a tribe and a community because people don't go to you know, traditional religious institutions as much or whatever it is, they're they're not with their families and they're not, you know, they're coming to New York and they're living alone for the first time in their lives and they're out of communities. They're seeking that. And so I think that's the stuff that I found really interesting about, um, about this project and and my research in
1: it. Call from Ann here in Minneapolis. Hi, Ann. I I think you were listening when we were talking about ritual and seeking. Yeah. What, What does it bring up for you?
4: It was funny. Actually, I was listening before that, and then it came up, so I'm really delighted. Um, I'm a funeral celebrant, and so um, a friend and I, we are a part of a faith community, but we realized that there were many people who were burying their dead, their beloveds, and their children or other people in their families didn't have a spiritual tradition, and that they had nowhere to turn for support in these important times, like you're just talking about, times when Traditional ritual or ceremony would be offered to a faith community, and so we started a little business, and we work as funeral celebrants. So we find people are like families; they might not like your your guest is saying like they might not connect with a, a traditional faith community, but they are so much seeking, you know, and wanting, and they know they're hungering for this. And there's like this; we often get this. We didn't know we could do something that was ours. And so one of the pieces for me that's important is, too, that sense of disempowerment that sometimes traditional faith communities convey, like, you can't do this unless you have gone to school for a really long time, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. you have these magic powers, or, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of a thing, that it takes it out of our hands, and we're not, um, we don't feel like we can create ritual. And I, that's such a loss. I, I grieve that. And um, I just would
2: like to hear what your guest has to say about that. Yeah, Anjali? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think that's super cool that you found an entrepreneurial opportunity in, <laughs> in people's um, wavering faith. That's pretty interesting just because the entrepreneur in me is, is always interested in that stuff. But I, I mean, I think it's exactly right. Like, there, you know, there's the idea of these gatekeepers to ritual, to tradition, to um, a higher being or, or whatever that might be. And I think people are rejecting that. But then there are those moments of deep vulnerability, um, especially around something like the death of a, of a loved one, where you're like, well, you want to do right by them and their memory and what they would want. But how does that actually um, sort of dovetail into what makes sense to you intellectually, personally, spiritually or whatever else?
1: And you, in, in writing your book, I'm sure you dug into some of the—and Pew is a good source for some of the research here on what, what leads people into or away from uh, affiliated faiths. And I thought this was interesting. I went back to look at some of the numbers from their survey, I think, last summer. And what they found was that many unaffiliated but spiritual prioritize— um, the fact that they question the religious teachings of a specific faith. And so because they question the teachings, they feel like they cannot be a fully-fledged member of that faith. I, I wonder how you interpret that and where that intersects with your own experience, just the questioning of, the, like I was calling them, the rules of the yeah, faith. I-
2: I think that's right. And I I feel like that's um, very consistent with what I found along this journey. So again, for your listeners, the the book doesn't chronicle me trying a bunch of di- different religions, right? Like I wasn't, again, not a theologian. By but you were any having a lot of, of experiences.
1: I was though, having, a, Anjali, yeah.
2: yes, a lot of experiences. I think my father stopped reading about halfway through, and he was like, <laughs> really? "You are very interesting." Like my, dad, my my seventy five year old Indian father was like, not down with all the things I was doing. God bless him. <laughs> but um, he, yeah, I think you know it was a lot of it. It was. A, a religious sort of uh now I forgot the question I'm so sorry <laughs> <laughs> i was asking, I started thinking
1: about my death <laughs> that's all right <laughs> that'll that'll divert you anytime I, know, I, know. I I was asking about this idea that what what Pew finds about unaffiliates is i i I want to belong to a faith community, but I don't buy into all of the teachings, yes. and I wondered if a, as you explored this whether that drew you away from some face that felt, you know, right in some ways when you were and these experiences that you were there, some of the teachings of them.
2: Right. Thank you for the reminder. Okay, so yes, that that was one of the reasons I didn't explore traditional religion, because I think to me, it's like wearing the t-shirt of one of those religions didn't feel right. It was like, that's not, I I can't imagine myself um, being like, yep, this seems this book. Does it for me like all of these roles seem to make sense? So it ended up being more of a smorgasbord approach, like, um, you know, sort of snacking at the spiritual buffet line <laughs> and kind of picking and choosing what made sense to me. And that ended up being more the exploration. So I think like a lot of the reason I went in these non traditional kind of spiritual backcountry um, adventures is because they felt looser and more open to picking and choosing and so again I found a lot of people found deep community even within those somewhat esoteric um, experiences but for me there still wasn't one that I was like up oh, this is the thing like I'm gonna do tantric sound healing from now on I, I should go
1: back there you, but you, I have not are you saying you weren't looking for that or you were looking for that
2: I was, I think, you know, ideally it would have been amazing and so much simpler if I could have found the one answer, okay. but I yeah. I didn't set out with that expectation and I didn't end up finding it. Like I didn't find, you know, there wasn't something along the way that I was like, oh, this, this one thing seems to make the most sense to me. It felt
1: like I, it was a bit more of a pick and choose bits and pieces here and there. You know, at one point in the book, you call yourself a spiritual tourist, which I... I don't think is fair. I mean, yes, you did a lot of travel and you were the best kind of traveler. But when I think of tourist, I just I think of you kind of there's the difference for me between tourism and travel. You know, you were doing the best kind of investigation and curiosity driven inquiry. Um,
2: Well, I I, appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, You know, I think what I was trying to do in in and the use of that term um, was be you know, to be insightful or or honest about the fact that I didn't have the cultural context, even for a lot of the things I was doing. So Mm -hmm. I was sort of jumping from thing to thing, even though I was really trying to go deeper at each experience and approach it with an open heart and an open mind. Um, At the end of the day, I wasn't, you know, living within these traditions or doing, you know, a lot of um, before or after work necessarily in that tradition. And so I was aware that that does some of this stuff a disservice, especially if it was a, a something that was sort of rooted in more of a cultural tradition, something like a Temescal when I went to Mexico, which, you know, I did a sweat lodge essentially. And realizing that like part of my experience was probably colored by the fact that there was a Russian woman sitting in the Temescal with me who was texting on her iPhone the entire time. Right. So did I have a pure experience of what that would be? Obviously not. Right. She was, Man. she was texting the entire time. It's kind of, it was really crazy by well, You know, or that when I tried to do ayahuasca down in Peru, it's like I had not done any, it's not like I live in the Amazon, right? Like I don't live amongst these cultures and I don't have the diet and the um, the cultural context is sort of the word I keep going back to to really fully go into those experiences, and so I had to be conscious of myself um, that and be mindful of that and try to not be a spiritual tourist and not fall into that trap where I was just like bouncing from thing to thing.
1: Yeah, let me grab a call here from Ravish in Woodbury. Hi, Ravish, glad you glad you waited. Thank you. Yep, no problem. What are you thinking about?
5: Um. So, uh, I mean, it's an interesting conversation, and, um, uh, you know, uh, why I was interested in in, in this conversation is because, um, you know, um, uh, I had a similar need in life, you know, that um, I always felt like it was me against the world, and, uh, you know, I needed some kind of redemption, and religion uh, never really cut it out for me, Um, and that's probably because, you know, I'm from a a science background, and, uh, you know, coming from a science background, the uh, uh, you know, you need to understand things more. You need to question authority, and um, you know, religion has this feel where you need to submit to yourself, mm. um, and uh, you need to uh, you need to kind of have a leap of faith. And for some reason, I, you know, I always question things. And uh, when you're of the questioning kind, I, at least my opinion is that religion might not really cut it out. And um, um, you know, uh, with the concept of like me against the world. Um, I think like I'm from a very small minority community in India, and I didn't see myself fitting into any uh, tribal mindset
4: mm-hmm. uh, because
5: I couldn't I couldn't find uh, people who are from the same community. And there's always this uh, this thing where when you meet people from the same community, there's this sense of camaraderie, and I never had that um, you know uh, uh, in a, in, a, in a lot of places, and so I needed to kind of get in touch with. That side of myself and and, and fill that need and uh, what uh, what really cut it out for me was some of the Eastern philosophies where uh, you know uh it's it's more about being mindful, uh you know meditation, and mm-hmm. this kind of really hit it home for me because it really uh, touches on the scientific aspect of of my thinking, which is trying to deeply understand the human behavior, uh deeply understanding every thought that uh you know passes through you, what it does. Uh, how you interact with it, how you react to it. Um, And, um, uh, you know, uh,
1: I I, think that is is what
5: created that redemption.
1: I I feel like you've got the best of all worlds there, right? You're open to a lot of different ideas. You're driven by something that is a high principle for you, your scientific inquiry. what, What strikes you about what Ravish said, Anjali?
2: Yeah. I mean, look, I, I agree. My husband is a man of science. He, my father is a man of science. Like they're both doctors and they, my sister's a a woman of science. Like there's a lot of doctors around me and, um, and I'm a lawyer. Like that's my training. I worked in tech. I was working at Google as a lawyer when I started this whole thing. And so to me, I just part of how I'm. Um, sort of wired is to question and to inquire and to want to know more and understand things, and so I think that's really what set me on this thing because like it just didn't make sense. Like the the idea of religion, it was sort of comforting, but then it was also like well, that doesn't really make sense. Like what really happens when you die, and how do you actually find happiness? And so. The journey was because um, working at Google, I was used to knowing the answer to things or being able to Google an answer if I didn't know the answer. (laughs) And uh, being a lawyer, people came to me with questions and I wanted to be able to answer them. And I knew having a child would be a similar experience, that there would come that time that she would start asking me all kinds of crazy questions. And I wanted to be able to answer them for her, at least from what I thought. And so that's what started it all, that sort of spirit of inquiry, um,
1: because something just didn't line up. Ogama in Bemidji. Hi, thank you so much for waiting through the newscast. I'm glad you did. Well, I got to hear the newscast, and good morning. (laughs) Good morning. What do you want to add to the to to the discussion this morning?
6: Well, um, clarification. My name is Ogama Megazi Iquay, and that is one name. Mm. Just you know, just for clarification. Okay. But um, you know, when you're looking at spirituality, and I've heard the word religion, and I've heard the word God. You know, we have, uh, as we know, many different faiths and um, that believe out there. And I was raised uh, with no faith and no uh, connection to it. I would have maybe checked off none. At 20, until uh-huh. I decided to understand my own spirituality, my personal spirituality, and uh, embrace uh, Anishinabe way of thinking, uh, which is about spirituality, and it's connected to the environment and everything around us. So the teachings are related, so it's not a sense of a personal of, what am I going to get from uh, my spirituality? It's more of praying for others, so that could be defined as community. You're praying for other people, not yourself. And you're praying for the environment, the four-legged, the wings, you know, those who swim. All of those things are tied into that spirituality, and it is not religion. Uh, and it has existed here for for many, many, many years beyond before the colonists arrived, and we practice. And
1: uh, I, I, so, can I ask you a question about that? I don't know if you heard yes. us talking right at the beginning about. The difference between gatekeepers and translators. This sound, what you've described to me, sounds like it is full of translators and free of gatekeepers. What...
6: Well, gatekeepers, that's an interesting word. I call them culture cops sometimes. Uh-huh. But, you know, uh, people who are very dogmatic about how they believe, we have that in every uh, walk of spirituality, or uh, for those who call religion, religion, you know, which is not what Anishinaabe or na- Indigenous American philosophy is. So um, so translating might be an okay way of
1: saying that. All right. I appreciate the call. Thank you. Thanks for the description. Um, and Anjali, from Joseph on Twitter, today's guest sounds like a Unitarian Universalist to me, my chosen faith. Do you think a lot of the the practices that you ended up thinking, I will take this and I will take that, kind of agree with the universalist traditions?
2: I I don't know the answer to that, as again, I am definitely not a theologian, but I will investigate. Thank you for for the (laughs) offer of your faith. I get a lot of emails and, uh, and the like, especially since the TED Talk came out, offering up people's faith to me as a solution, which I think is also super interesting. And I'll maybe that's the second book, you know, okay, <laughs> like going yeah. and yeah. Meeting, meeting people and finding out what they
1: think. i call here from Joseph in Springfield. Hi, Joseph. Hi, um, good morning. Hi. Tell me a little bit about yourself.
7: Um, so I'm actually, a, I'm a young Catholic adult. Um, and I, so, you know, very traditional, I guess, in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the way I look at, I, I was intrigued by the topic today. The way I look at it is, um, I mean, like the United States has laws. The United States is a community, you know, kind of like a traditional community, you might think. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if people abandon those laws, then there's kind of chaos, you know, throughout the nation. So I feel like if people abandon, you know, a sense of community, I think that community is very important. I think that that natural urge inside of humanity is very important for a reason. Um, But I think that if people continue on this modern trend where they just like abandon their tradition, their community, and kind of move into a personalized religion. I feel like there's a great loss there. And I feel like the only thing that can come from that is kind of a cultural chaos where we aren't, we aren't um, in a community that believes, you know, common things. I feel like
1: this makes a lot of sense. Yeah,
7: I feel like a lot of people get caught up on the differences between religions. I think what, would be important is first that people are faithful to the traditions that they are a part of the communities that they're part of and then after they can say that they faithfully keep that then they start to think about well am i am i following what would be true you know Mm -hmm. but i feel like there's a lot of chaos that people abandon these uh traditional
1: communities anjali what do you think
2: you know it's i mean it's a fair interesting point i i think um we don't all have to believe in the same religious or spiritual Dogma, in order for there to not be chaos. I think we can treat each other well. Like there's probably core principles that thread through all religions and spiritual traditions, right? Like be nice to people, like, you know, sort of like basic tenets of things. And I think um, one of the conclusions of the book and sort of giving away the ending, but you can still read it. um, And I talk about this in, in my TED talk too, is that, Um, At the end of the day, what I found, again, from my non-scientific research is that all of us, regardless of faith or lack of faith or anything else, are all ultimately searching for the same three things. And in my research, it came down to health, happiness and love. And in that order is how people described what they were looking for. And so, I think I agree with you what you're you know the caller about um we keep focusing on our differences. I think that's true. I think that's the reason that we're having so many problems in the world is because we do keep focusing on the things that um, drive us apart as opposed to the things that really bind us together. and I think it really is quite simple what binds us together, and if we could focus on those sort of universal truths and those commonalities of our humanity, I feel like we'd be in a really different state in the world right now.
1: You know, I've done a lot of reading of what Karen Armstrong says about that. Are you familiar with her with her writing? No Any chance. OK. Um, it, she's I, I've interviewed her a few times. She's coming to the Twin Cities for an event uh, this fall and she was one of the the big motivators behind the contract for compassion a few years ago and that was a cross denominational uh push to get clergy and leaders of many different religions to sign on to the idea that compassion was at the core of all of the faiths and that and that those leaders would step up to lead with compassion and be brave voices for compassion in the face of I don't know the refugee cri- right mm-hmm. I mean um it sounds like a good idea to I me. know I like that idea I know yeah. I think she had a lot of people signing on I think it's hard to keep the volume of the voices for that and the kind of well I don't know as Joseph said in the kind of chaotic world we live in today
2: yeah, I think that's a shame because it sounds like a good idea. <laughs> it Wh- sounds like you know, focusing on those things that bind us together would be a nice way to
1: to um, move through these these difficult times. You said health, happiness, and what was the third principle? Love, love, yeah. right? Like would you deep- put compassion in there? But love, yes. Yeah, I think love they all compassion. those words
2: are. Yeah, exactly. I think those words really uh, encompass, you know, or can be quite broadly
1: defined. Yeah. Well, one last call here from David in Minneapolis. Hi, David. What's your experience with this?
8: Hi, I was kicked out of the church at the age of fifteen when they found out I was gay and sent into reparative therapy, which uh, made me so angry at that the
1: church. Sounds and terrible.
8: It, yeah. yeah, it was. It, it really messed up my life, and it was through contact with Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm not actually an alcoholic, so mm-hmm. I'm not violating any traditions here. Um, But I I got in contact with Alcoholics Anonymous through my work and discovered that the book that they affectionately call The Big Book, uh, which was written in the 1930s, is actually a spiritual blueprint that anybody can work those 12 steps. And the point is to connect you to a power greater than yourself, which is not only a God idea, but also a community idea. So spirituality for me now is much more about um, that power that I choose to call God. That's my own conception, but it also is about being part of the world and a good citizen in that world.
1: Wow. Well said. I mean, Anjali, that that is probably also at the at the core of many of the faiths that you and traditions you were investigating, isn't it? Yeah, just being a good citizen.
2: Absolutely. I think that's absolutely right. And I think, you know, unfortunately, a lot of what I encountered, the people I encountered along the way, probably were similarly rejected by faith because of um, an action or inaction in their life. And, and that also doesn't make sense to me. I think that's one of the reasons I really struggled with the idea of religion, because it's, it's like what kind of compassionate God, if there is one, uh, would do that. It doesn't make sense to me.
1: Anjali Kumar's book is called Stalking God, My Unorthodox Search for Something to Believe. And thank you so much for being part of the series, Anjali. I, I hope we'll talk again. I hope so,
2: too. Thank you so much for having me.
0: You just heard a recording of a live radio show on NPR News. To add your voice to discussion, you can call in at 800-242-2828 or tweet us at Carrie NPR. And if you miss us live, you'll find all our shows by subscribing to this podcast. You can send us your questions or comments by emailing talk at npr.org.